0: As we regather, as we re kind of get used to gathering together again on a Sunday morning, we are so excited about that. This community of Jesus followers, uh, the the community of Jesus followers that we are part of, being together. You know, the writer of Hebrews urges us to not give up meeting together, and so we are so pleased that you're here with us this morning. And as we as we kind of re. Practice, at like, what's the word? As we, um, you can tell I'm not talking from my notes right now. Um, as we work that regathering muscle, you know, like when you go to the gym and you've, I don't know. I don't go to the gym, but I'm guessing some of you do. And you rework those muscles that you haven't worked for a while. You know, we've had a, 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 a quite a long season where we've not been able to regather on a Sunday morning. So as we re- rework that muscle of getting up early, putting on clothes rather than watching church in our pajamas. Um, although if you want to come in your pajamas, you're more than welcome. Um, As we rework that muscle, you know, sometimes it's going to hurt, like when you go to the gym and you work a muscle, um, and sometimes you're going to roll over on a Sunday morning, you think, oh, really? And I want to just say, come, don't miss out, come and gather together, commit to being here. You know, I am excited about the fact that we can gather and we can worship together. And just, yeah, thank you, worship team, that was great this morning. You know, I am more convinced now and more passionate now about the purpose of the church than I was 20 months ago. You know, we are called as the followers of Jesus to gather together, to worship him, to encounter his presence together corporately so that we can go out from here and we can love, live and work to his praise and glory. And I am sold out for that. And without his presence, we can do nothing and nobody will. Will care you know one of the things I loved about fireworks on Friday night at Mike and Khadija's is that we had lots of guests and everybody said this is amazing this is so nice. Thank you so much for your generosity. And you know, there's lots of things that, that we as a church can do, and Mike and Khadija's generosity, which we can do in our own strength. But the thing that made it precious for me was that I, we knew that the presence of God was there. God was with us in their garden, watching amazing fireworks. So this morning we're continuing our series on on your marks. You know it's that time for get set go. You know the starter gun has already gone off. We are um, we've launched ourselves out of our running starting blocks for this leg of the journey, and we are up to Mark chapter nine. And I think Mark chapter nine has got four questions to ask us this morning, and every morning that we wake up, will we listen? Will we believe? Will we serve? Will we stop making decisions that derail us? So what I'd like to do uh, this morning is I'd like to just read the whole of Mark 9. So you might want to sit comfortably. Sorry, these seats aren't quite as comfortable as the ones in the lecture theatre last week. Um, I'm going to read from Mark 9, just giving a couple of thoughts as we go through. Um, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Feel free to follow it on devices, Bibles, Um, bits of paper whatever you've got or it's going to be on the screen behind me it might be that you want to close your eyes as I read this um, and imagine walking shoulder to shoulder with Jesus through this uh, scene so Mark chapter 9 Jesus went on to say, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. I'd quite like to see the kingdom of God arrive in great power before I die. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for you to have us, to let, for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't know what else to say, for they were all terrified. I love Peter, and I love the fact that Mark notes this. You know, Peter opens his mouth. I'm pretty sure he was an extrovert. He's in a situation where he's quite overwhelmed. It says terrified, and he engages his mouth. I have sometimes been in that situation. Um, But I love the fact that Mark notes that they were afraid. You know, imagine Jesus standing right in front of you. Being totally transformed. It's like, it's not just like a standard Daz advert. For those of you that remember Daz, I'm probably showing my age, whiter than ordinary whites, isn't that? You know, this is like, no earthly bleach could ever make it as white. Jesus is transformed right before before them. His appearance is changed. And then he's deep in conversation with Elijah and Moses. I think we'd probably all be afraid as well. I find it interesting that Peter, James, and John knew that it was Elijah and Moses. Now, I don't know if maybe they had a chat with Jesus later, but obviously this was before the days of photographs, so they wouldn't have necessarily recognized them, but they knew it was significant. Verse 7, Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone and they saw only Jesus with them. This is my dearly loved son, listen to him. This is a flashback almost to Jesus being baptized when they heard a voice come from heaven, say, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. But this time, God is identifying Jesus as his dearly loved son, but the command is to listen to him verse 9 as they went back down the mountain they t- he told them not to tell anyone what had that they had seen until the kingdom of Mat Ma- sorry he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead so they kept it to themselves but they often asked each other what he'd meant by rising from the dead I found this quite encouraging because not only um, had Peter, James, and John been terrified, but they were also now slightly confused. It's okay when we don't always understand everything. You know, just like those first disciples, they still followed Jesus, they still trusted him, they still went wherever he went, even though they didn't have all of their questions answered. Then they asked him, Do the teachers of the religious law in why do the teachers of the religious law insist that Elijah must return before Moses comes? Sorry, before the Messiah comes. Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly to be tr- and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come and they chose to abuse him just as the scriptures predicted. When they'd returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of, the re- of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son to you so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this, this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. I wonder how often Jesus might have say that to us. So they bought the boy. They, so, they, so they bought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, "Since he was a little boy, the spirit often throws him into fire and into or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can." What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asks. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Anything is possible if a person believes, Jesus said. But we know, don't we, that not everything we ask for happens. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God. It is within our reach, but yet it is not fully here. You know, and I love the Father's response here when he says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. We're all impacted by our experiences, aren't we? You know, I'm full of faith when I pray for miracles, and yet I'm always surprised when they happen. So although I do believe, I must have some unbelief. So, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. He said, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, helped him to his feet, and he stood up. Afterwards, when Jesus was alone in a house with his disciples, they asked him, Why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? Jesus replied, This kind can be cast out only by prayer. Some accounts of this occasion talk about quote Jesus as saying, prayer and fasting, implying that it needed more than just a command. It needed a focused prayer. But obviously not for Jesus. You know, he was probably still glowing whiter than white, having just um, been transformed at the top of the mountain. He was cheered on by Moses and Elijah. Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one, affirmed right in front of Peter, James and John's eyes, came down that mountain and no evil spirit could disobey him. Verse 30, leaving that region, they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend some time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. But three days later, he will rise from the dead. They didn't understand what what he was saying. However, they were af- However, They didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask what he meant. In just this short chapter so far, this is the second occasion where there's, there's a lack of understanding on the disciples' part. They didn't see the full picture, but they carried on trusting and following him. I don't know if any of you have seen the TV series, The Chosen, Um, But this, I think this is portrayed beautifully in it, where the disciples are following Jesus and you see Jesus right in front of them and he's done these miracles or he's teaching them and they're like kind of on tender hooks. They're like, yes, and they're listening and they're overwhelmed and and then Jesus walks away and they're like, what did he mean? I don't get it. Uh, And just you really see the humanness of the disciples. They didn't always get it, but yet they didn't give up following him they gave up everything to follow him you know maybe we've hit obstacles or we've hit um, difficult situations Uh, maybe we haven't always understood what we're experiencing or what we have experienced and maybe we've given up pursuing jesus Verse 33, after they arrived at Capernaum and settled in in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out there on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, we need to learn to be a servant of all. For me, I can quote that and it rolls off the tongue quite easily. But yet, what does that actually look like in our day-to-day lives? Serving means putting others first above our own needs, even when it's inconvenient. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, anyone who welcomes a child like this on on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me, not only well not only welcomes me but also welcomes my father who sent me john said to jesus teacher we saw someone using your name to cast out demons but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group don't stop him jesus said no one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me anyone who is not against us is for us if anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better that you would be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with one hand than to go into it the unquenchable fires of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. All the commentators that I read on this um, talk about that this, isn't to be, this little section here isn't to be taken literally. Jesus is making a point. He's grabbing the disciples' attention. He's using hyperbole. If we, do, if we are doing anything that causes us or anybody around us to turn away from Jesus, to stumble, as the NIV puts it, we need to deal with it. We need to cut it off. We need to make a decision, a decisive decision, and take action. What gets in the way of you being Jesus' disciple? What gets in the way of you turning your back on him? You know, probably most of us, if we've been around church for a while... Um, or we've read some of our Bibles, we can probably tell you some of the things that we probably shouldn't do. But actually, you know, there's no such thing as a big sin or a little sin. Sin is anything that gets in the way of us pursuing Jesus. What are the things, what are the good things that we do, but they have have become idols and stop us from worshipping Jesus? Tim Keller, who's an author and a pastor, he says, an idol is is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts. If I had that, then I feel my life has meaning. Then I'll know that I'm valued. Then I'll feel significant and secure. Where do we find our meaning, value, significance and security? What or who do we worship instead of Jesus? What gets in the way? of being a disciple of his. Maybe we're busy. Maybe we're addicted to our work. Maybe we suffer with FOMO. Maybe uh, we long to be needed or to please everybody. Maybe we want to blend in. Maybe we love escaping into uh, a box set or a series on Netflix. Maybe we spend hours escaping into fantasy on our computer games, distracting us From the things that really need our attention. Discipleship, becoming more like Jesus, is difficult and it needs us to pay attention. Following Jesus isn't about personal fulfillment and satisfaction, there is a war going on. The Bible talks about the enemy in this war being the world, the flesh, and the devil. Following Jesus is about our transformation so that we become more like him for the sake of those around us. Discipleship demands sacrifice. We know we need to turn our back on evil things. But what are the things that aren't that evil, but yet they distract us? and they take our attention, and they take us down the wrong path. We need to deal with it. We need to get rid of those things. Like those, pas- those verses said, we need to cut off our hands or our feet or gouge our eyes out. Verse 49, for everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do, we ma- how do you make it salty again? You must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. So will we listen? When God speaks over Jesus, he says, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Are we listening to Jesus? Will we believe? Like the the father of the little boy who had an evil spirit, he freely acknowledged to Jesus, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Holy Spirit, will you help us overcome our unbelief? Will we serve? If we want to be great in the kingdom of God, will we serve our neighbors? Jesus asks, the, asks us, therefore, to be last to serve, to do as our master asks us. And will we stop making decisions that cause us and those around us to stumble? Our becoming more like Jesus is our decision and our responsibility helped by the Holy Spirit. And we can own that and we can make decisions so that we can step towards Jesus rather than sidestepping him or stepping backwards. Ultimately, Jesus loves you. What is your response to that? I want to finish with a quote from Erwin McManus, who's a pastor and an author, Um, and then we're going to worship again. This quote says, I don't even know how a person breathes without Jesus. I don't know how you don't suffocate without Jesus. I'm so frustrated that we've made Jesus a moralistic narrative of how to get out of trouble because you've done bad things. I think we've demeaned the beauty and wonder of who Jesus is. Jesus is a Mona Lisa. He is that work of art that even if you don't understand the genius of da Vinci, you know you're seeing something that you absolutely don't deserve to look at. what is your view of Jesus? Maybe our view of him has shrunk.